Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Moments with Midero podcast, a space where you will be inspired, encouraged, and uplifted. Today's guest comes to Carnegie Mellon with 15 years of experience in higher education, financial services, and energy sectors in several countries across four continents. She received her Bachelor of Science in Economics and International Business from Arizona State University. She received her MBA in Global Management from Thunderbird School of Global Management. Welcome onto the show, Bemi. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Before we go deeper into our conversation, let's kick this off. What's your earliest childhood memory? Earliest childhood memory. That's a great one. I think it was, I have this memory of us as um, kids when our parents um, took us to Kotonou for vacation. And it was just, we had mostly gone outside Africa for vacation. This is the first time we decided to do one on the continent. And I just remember we drove and I was just pleasantly surprised at how beautiful it was. And um, the food was amazing and some of the similarities with Nigeria, um, because I hate to say it, but sometimes we're pretty insular <laughs> on the continent. And it was just nice to see a different part. And that kind of um, sparked my interest in exploring more of the African continent. I like that, exploring more of the African continent. So yeah. as you grew up as a child and where you've reached right now, Take us through a journey on how you reached this point in your career. Have you been able to travel across, you know, your, your biases? You have worked across four continents. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I've always been interested in all things international and not just on the continent, but just sort of global. I've always been fascinated with people and cultures and food and travel generally. So I've been really blessed. I've had the opportunity through work and personal travel to have been to over 100 countries. And throughout that that exploration has just continued to feed my thirst for learning more and kind of seeing myself in different contexts and learning from the people I meet and building this global network that makes the world truly seem like a much smaller place. So started, I studied everything international, even in undergraduate, um, studied abroad extensively, had the opportunity to study in Greece and Italy and Croatia, which had just been sort of like on the map um, two decades ago. And um, since then, um, even my master's degree was in international and so I had the opportunity to travel some more, worked for a big global bank, um, HSBC, worked for Chevron Texaco, um, another global organization. And so even between um, professional and personal, I've had the opportunity in my career. I transitioned to higher ed at some point in my career and through that even helped um, my previous institution, George Mason's, um, open a campus in Asia. So I was in Korea for over five years and then um, was working with Carnegie Mellon um, in Africa, in Rwanda specifically, um, looking for partnerships across the continent. And most recently um, transitioned back to the US working for a different organization where I'm helping them lead their global strategy. So I think people are like, oh, you came from oil and gas to banking to higher ed, like help us understand. And I said, well, 
the one thread across the whole thing was just they always had the opportunity to grow, to learn, and to work with people from different cultures. So that's been sort of the consistent thread, even though the industries and the sectors were quite different. Yes, I hear growth and I hear flexibility. So how have you been able to step out of your comfort zone? Because it takes a lot to step out of your comfort zone, as you've said, to move from energy to finance to then higher education. How have you been able to do that? Well, so I always, as a business school product, I always like to use frameworks. So I say it's like the three C's, right? It starts with having competence. So everything I do, I make sure that I work really hard. I study, I learn. The one thing I know about myself is that I'm trainable, right? So even if I don't know it, I'm not afraid to throw myself into a new experience and kind of study hard and make sure that I gain that competence. And that leads to confidence. So once you have that competence, you have a bit more confidence, which is my second C, to then take on those challenges and know that it may be rough at times, it may be challenging, but ultimately you have that sort of um, confidence to brave a new thing. And then the third C is courage, just to be open to new experiences, to know that Again, if you've studied for it, if you practiced, if you're confident in what you bring to the table, you'll have that um, courage to take on risks and like know that even if it's not what it shaped what you expected, no lesson doesn't have a learning and an opportunity to grow from that. Yes, I agree with you. So if you're able to share a challenge where you knew, yes, I'm competent, yes, I have mm -hmm. the confidence but your courage was tested to the core and you wondered, will I be able to face this challenge? That's a great one. There are several, I think, throughout my journey, but I would pick like moving to South Korea. I would say that even though I was I traveled to Asia, visiting is very different than having to actually like live in a place and then not just live in a place, work in a place that isn't, um, at least a decade ago, wasn't as well known and wasn't as open to people of different cultures, particularly um, struggled at the beginning with being a woman and a young woman who wasn't married. And then um, it's a culture that sort of pays a lot of respect to like, older men and again there's also some levels of I hesitate to say it's not quite racism I would say it's more of an ignorance and a lack of familiarity with other and so knowing that and knowing I was going to be in a leadership position leading teams of people who are not used to seeing people like me that really tested my life. It was one of those ones where I asked myself, are you sure? And so, but I wasn't sure and I did it scared anyway. And it ended up being one of the most transformational experiences in my life. I still have such great memories. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about others. I taught them a bit more about myself and African culture. And I, there came to be a level of um, mutual respect and understanding and growth where I still had some of my colleagues from Korea Come visit me this year in the U.S. and so we've now become family and so I think that's one of the things where I was happy that even though it tested me in many many ways um, the outcome was still positive. Yeah. 
I tell you new experiences. You ask yourself, did I make the right choice? Did I? <laughs> right. I, you, I mean, the last C that my mother will probably say is crazy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, like, I leave that one up the radar. But sometimes you question your choices and you wonder if you're going to make it. But you do it anyway. <laughs> but I think also um, to build on your word that you chose for this conversation, the only way that we can grow is truly be in uncomfortable situations right. where we are we are stretched, where we also doubt ourselves, but in the process as we doubt, we learn more about ourselves. So what's one thing that you are learning about yourself right now or in this season of your life? Yeah, I think um, never to take anything for granted, right? So even when so and also just to constantly have a heart of gratitude like so when things are I'm a woman of faith and so it's easy to know God and to be grateful when things are going great and then it's always for me important to remember that even when things are not going great to sort of regroup and still be grateful for the blessings that you've had that others may still not have I call it my first world problems right like so things seem bad but you're still I was an econ, econ major in undergrad and we had this subject of relativity where someone's always better off or worse off than you and so anytime I have those moments to of like self-pity or of course there's nothing about not you fully embrace it you have it but what's key to me is to try and not wallow in it and to remind myself that people are still, there's still lots of people who are less fortunate than me. And I just have to remember the blessings that I have. And so I think what I've learned and as I've grown and gone through so many different challenges, I most recently went through personal loss of like family and some really close friends. And it really was just, it was a lot. And so I think what I've learned is not always having to be superwoman and to say everything's perfect but to really just take moments to feel all the different emotions and to grow but always still have a heart of gratitude because life truly could always be worse and I feel very fortunate for what I've had so far it doesn't mean when bad things happen you feel great about it it just mm -hmm. means you have to sort of find a way to cope and to kind of move find things to make you get out of that moment so you don't stay there too long. And I'm so sorry that for your losses, um, my sincere condolences. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned faith. So also being a woman of faith, um, you recognize as time goes by that, yes, I'm called to maybe energy sector or financial sector. It's more than just me being here to do finance. I'm here yeah. to be a light to the world. So how has your faith helped you to navigate the different spaces that you've been in and how has it helped you to also grow in your career and also personally? Hmm. Now, that's a great question. I think um, I think certainly when I worked in the private sector, um, it's always interesting because right? maximizing profit is the key in those sectors, but I always have tried to be my authentic self no matter where I was and find ways, even in small ways, to help those who are around me. The, the sector that I think I finally felt like I had my calling was in higher education, and certainly it's a less financially beneficial sector. However, it's a lot more rewarding in terms of sort of the intangible impacts, like when I was, I was a faculty member at the business school and just being able to teach 
teach students and connect and see those moments of awareness. Uh, when I mentor young students, um, especially when I was in Korea, I had a few um, African students who were at that campus who like just were excited to see somebody that looked like them who could help them or they could come speak to about some of the challenges and how they could navigate that. So I find that because again, I'm in, usually in spaces where there's not a lot of people that look like me or that are like me. Um, whether I want to or not, I, I have this responsibility to be there for those who are looking to grow and looking for hope that they too could do that. And as soon as I recognize that, I try my best to sort of give back, right? Like each one, reach one and try to mentor young people and just be the best version of myself that I could be while still maintaining my own authenticity. I love that. Maintaining authenticity and just being yourself in whatever space that you're in. So your younger self is seated across you right now with all that you've gone through, learned. What would you tell her? What would I tell my younger self? I would say have fun. Have fun. Don't take life so seriously. You don't always have to be perfect at everything you do. Um, life is short. Just have fun. I feel like I have some fun, but I could have probably had a lot more. <laughs> but as an African child, you constantly hear the voice of your parents in your head. And so, yeah, so fun was not at it, like the first option, right? You study hard, you work hard, you do all of those. And so I think in those ways, I was more conformist than I thought. And then um, as I grew older, I realized I spent a lot of my 20s really just like focusing on like work and being in constant improvement. And I could have taken a bit more time to just like be an average person and just have fun, right? So... I, I totally relate with the parents' voice in the, you're just like, I need to turn off that voice. <laughs> right, exactly. You mentioned that, obviously, yes, your role currently in higher education is fulfilling, but for lesser pay. So a young person is seated across you right now, and they're wondering, okay, fine, I'm entering the job market. Yes, I want to pursue what I have learned or studied in university. But at the same time, I want to pursue what my passion is, but my passion is of a lesser pay. How do you help them to navigate that, that moment? Yeah, it's really funny because I had a friend reach out to me after she'd been in over a decade in private sector and was thinking of going into the public sector. And she was like, how did you do this when I see the cut in pay? It's such a hard thing. I mean, naturally, there's going to be a season of adjustment while you kind of kind of figure things out. But when there's the Japanese concept of iakazi, I think I always say that wrong, but it's when you look at these sort of Venn diagrams and you look at what are you good at in one circle? What are you uh, what are you passionate about? And then what will you get paid for, right? And somewhere where all those three intersect is where your sweet spot is, right? And at different points in your career, you may be at something that you're good at, but you're not passionate about, right? <laughs> like, so I was good at finance. I can't say that I woke up and dreamt about finance. I like every day I did it because I was good at it. It was fine. I paid the bills and that was it, right? And then you look at what people are willing to pay you for because you could be passionate about something. You may or may not be good at it hopefully you are and no one pays you for that right that's just a hobby right at some point you need to monetize those skill sets so I tell a young person to look at that intersection because at some point if it's something that you're good at you enjoy and someone's willing to pay 
all of those will at some point help you accelerate in your career. And it may not be like, well, like Wolf of Wall Street pay, but you'll definitely be the best in your industry. And that's better than being mediocre in an industry that pays well. And so I think it should be more focused on fulfilling. Work is something we're all going to do for a really long time. And so if you're doing something you truly enjoy, it's not that you wouldn't work hard. It's just it wouldn't feel as toxic as if you were working at a job you did not enjoy and at the end of the day like that unnecessary stress has an impact on your health has so there is these unwritten costs that we don't think about that when you actually enjoy the environment that you're in the people you work with the outcomes of the work you do those have some intangible benefits that I think you should calculate as as well as the financial benefits so when you add those two together I think you'll see that it's a it's ultimately a better a better fit for you. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. So where do you see yourself in the future? And what are the next trends for the educational space? Great question. I mean, in the future, I, I would say I don't know. My life has been, a, when I talk to young people, they're always like, tell me how you got here. And I remember one of my mentors was laughing and said, when people see his career, and he's a pretty senior person at a higher institution, he's like, oh, it looks like it makes sense. It looks like I took these steps. And honestly, he said what he did was just take each opportunity as it came. So for me, I just always keep myself open. I assume I'll still be in higher education or something that still has an impact but specifically I don't as I've grown I haven't had these like I want to be this title or this like those kind of faded away kind of became a bigger matrix of here's the kind of experience I want to have versus here's the job I want to have so in terms of that I think it's the experience I want to have is one that still gets me makes me happy ones that still allows me to grow and stretch like and learn new things and one that still allows me to make impact so that could still be in the sector I'm in it could be in a different sector but as long as those pieces are there that's what I hope for the future. In terms of trends with higher ed, I think what we'll see is there's been this pendulum of shifts that you see where people you're hearing a lot from like Silicon Valley about the importance of school. Do you need to go? Do you not need to go? And I always hesitate. And so there's a, and then there's this proliferation of like new, of MOOCs. Like, so these massive online um, offerings and people are like, are we going skills-based? So there are all these conversations that are really rocking the world of higher ed. So higher ed will truly change. I don't know what we're going to change to. We have things like AI and chat GPT, what's the impact of that on students' ethics, on students' learning? So I think we're all still sort of open to seeing what the impact on this is and can we as higher ed administrators and leaders tap into the positive sides while we sort of mitigate the negatives of these new technologies? Yeah, because I remember in university, you're, you're given homework, you're told to write an essay, and mm -hmm. they insist there should be no plagiarism. Right. <laughs> and currently with chat GPT, like you can say, rephrase this paragraph or rephrase this um, essay mm -hmm. and it does it for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it just begs the question, how will we be able to monitor plagiarism, you know, copyright? Um, right. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, it's really fascinating. I think we're still seeing that people are not using, people are still not modifying it in a way that prevents them from being caught. I think you've seen lots of stories where even in the professional setting, people are using it and then people are finding out that they just copied and pasted it. So I think the fear is for those who, who I mean, there's a right or wrong, right? You know, if you're in school, you really shouldn't do it. So you have to leverage your own moral compass, but should you even choose to repress your your morality on this and still go ahead then you have to be really smart about what you're using it for if you copy and paste likely it's recreated some semblance of that for somebody else and we some of us have these systems that we track like um there's um Tunuit and there are a few other softwares out there that you post it if you feel like this doesn't quite seem like the student standard and it'll tell you if um it'll catch it if at any point part of those essays have shown up in another system somewhere else so universities are either as much as there's a solution i mean i don't think we'll catch everything we just hope that people do the right things but yeah certainly it's providing a challenge but the piece I like to focus on because I like to think humanity will be better is that um <laughs> I hope at least that this generation does better than we did yeah. is that yeah. we think of ways to leverage it for good right like how how do we rethink what we are teaching how do we redesign the curriculum so that it's really focusing on skills that people need versus just like memorization that allows them yes. to just copy and paste. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. How can we leverage all these new technologies for the betterment of society? So we're going so right. to switch gears a little bit and I'll ask you random questions. Don't overthink. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you've mentioned that you've been to a hundred countries. What is the most beautiful place you've been to? I get this all the time, but I always have a hard answer. I would say I really loved um, Croatia and I really loved the Maldives. Yeah. Nice. If you have been given an elephant and you cannot get rid of it, what would you do with the elephant? I'd make it a pet and take care of it and use it to help educate people around me on the values of elephants and what they do. And But I would want it to be in a happy place because there's a lot of issues around sort of like mistreating animals. So it would be, I would hopefully be able to care for it in a way that it would still be out in the wild, but I would hopefully use it to benefit those around me or in the community that I'm in. I like that. Even if it's with me, let it also be something that the community can benefit from. I like it. Yeah. What are your dreams and ambitions? In the long run, because I've always loved sort of global, my dream would be some a role that allows me to have some role in diplomacy and forming foreign, um, foreign relations, particularly um, for Nigeria, which is a country that could use some foreign and diplomatic um, improvements. And so I think any role that allows me to sort of contribute back to my home country would be great. I like it. And if you were to be given $10 million, what would you do with $10 million? $10 million. I would probably invest it, give away some, and then invest the rest in the future. So. To round up this round of questions, how do you want to be remembered? This is a great question. I just recently was writing a eulogy for a friend of mine that passed away from cancer, and I was thinking like, if this is me, how would I want people to, to remember me? And I just think someone who brought joy to others, someone who gave back what she could, and someone who had a positive impact on, on the people around her. So 
Amen. And may God truly bless you with that. What does your name mean, Bemi? Bemi. So the full name is Bemi Sola. It's a Yoruba name from, from Lagos in Nigeria. And the word Ola means happiness, wealth, and joy. It's the same word for those. Um, my parents always joke that it's not money since I spent all their money. So the, so Bemi means you brought me or you carried me into. And so the full thing would be you brought me joy or you brought me happiness or you brought me wealth. So Bemi Sola, you brought it that to me. So you see, your name is already going ahead of you and ensuring that you will bring joy. <laughs> yeah. They did a good job, I would say. Now I have to live up to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you shall. You shall. So is there anything else that you still want to share that's still on your heart or mind? No, I just think um, right now the world is going through so much in terms yeah. of like kind of what we're dealing with and everyone's going through a hard time, be it a financial or climate crisis or injustices all over the world. And so if we can each all do our part to make, everyone thinks they have to do some big thing. And I said, no, it starts with just the person next to you. Like I always love when you go and they do that paid forward or you buy coffee for the person behind you. So I said, well, it's great to be like the Gates Foundation and have these big impacts. You can also just be a foundation of one where you help your community, your neighbor, this and if we each all did that I think we'll be leaving behind a better world than what we found I totally agree I want to appreciate you for coming on to the show thank you so much thank you for having me it's been wonderful having the conversation so dear listeners or whoever is watching I hope you've picked up one or two things from this conversation for me it's the three c's what are you competent at whatever you become competent at you become confident and also as you grow in confidence, pursue your goals and dreams with courage. So until the next episode, continue being courageous. Mm -hmm.